Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast bringing you true crime from around the world. Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Hi Islanders, I hope you're all doing okay. Now, just before we get into this, I just want to say that for all the comments on my YouTube channel, I do read them all, but twice now I've gone through and answered every comment and they haven't posted. Now, it seems to only happen on my supercomputer rather than on my phone, but I'm usually doing the comments in front of the supercomputer rather than my phone. It is a little bit easier. So I'm not ignoring anyone. I do read everything and I'll try to sort it out as soon as I can. So thanks for all the comments and please feel free to check out the channel if you haven't done so. I have some photos with and sometimes video with the podcast and it is recorded separately to the audio version so there could be extra stuff in there. So, okay, this week we've got a strange one. Not so much for the actual crime, which is strange in itself, but more for the bizarre interrogation of the suspect and his name, which I'll get to a little bit later, of course. Now, references tonight are from police interrogation tapes CBC, Global News, C Fox, Vancouver Sun, now canlee.org, which is C-A-N-L-I-I.org, and that was for court records. And I found that link when I Googled, and it brought up a great podcast, my podcast mates, the Dark Poutine Podcast, hosted by Mike Brown and Scott Hemingway, and there will be a promo for them at the end. Great Canadian podcast, true crime. So... I said said it was a weird case. Even weirder is the perp's name. Rocky Rambo Way Nam Cam. Now, I don't want to put shit on someone for their name, but yeah, this is his name, Rocky Rambo. Now, I remember talking to a mate, Augie, in Thailand years ago, and yes, that was his nickname, actually, Augie. Uh, Hi, mate, if you're listening. And we were talking about strange names that people had. And he told me about one guy in the Thai village that he was staying at that was named Billy Joel. And there was another one there called Michael Jackson. Anyway, let's get back to Rocky Rambo. Now, he did have family in Canada, a brother who seemed to have established himself reasonably well, who had a good job and family. Rocky, on the other hand, hadn't adjusted as well. Now, Rocky was raised in Hong Kong. He started playing video games while going to high school in Hong Kong. After graduating from high school, he moved to Calgary to attend university and obtained a Bachelor of Economics degree. Apparently, he spent a lot of his time playing video games when going to uni. Now, after graduating from uni, Rocky spent between 12 and 14 hours a day playing online video games and pouring through internet fantasy comic books. He applied for jobs in Calgary, but was unable to find employment. Now, around May or June 2017, Rocky moved to Vancouver. After moving there, he lived in a hostel until he could find proper accommodation. Now, while looking for a place, he met a guy who posed as a real estate agent or at least someone who arranged accommodation. Now, Rocky Rambo met up with him or met him, it isn't clear, but he met with him in a strip club 
Now, Rocky gave this guy $1,000 for a room to, to rent. The problem was that when Rocky rocked up to the place, it wasn't for rent at all. He'd been scammed. Eventually, Rocky found a room at a share house at 7608 Granville Street, Marpole. And that's in Vancouver, Canada. And on the video, I will have maps. This place had a common room and other rooms for the tenants. Rocky kept to himself. He was rarely seen outside his room where he would lock himself in and play video games. Now, Rocky continued to send out resumes when he was living in Vancouver, but that he wasn't very motivated to sort of obtain employment because he was able to get financial handouts from his parents who were in Hong Kong when required. So, like I said, he did have family in Canada, a brother who seemed to have established himself reasonably well, had a good job and a family. And of course, Rocky hadn't quite adjusted as well. So it looks like he had a reasonably good family and upbringing, actually. All the kids were educated with his sister currently studying at uni. Now, Rocky did have a reasonably severe car accident in Calgary earlier in 2017. Now, that was the only interaction with police he'd had before he committed this crime. And now, we'll actually get to that crime. It's the 26th of September 2017 in Marpole, Vancouver. Richard Jones, 68, and his wife Diana Mar Jones, 64, are found brutally murdered in their 1243 West 64th Avenue home at Marpole. Now, Marpole is located on the southern edge of the city of Vancouver, British Columbia, immediately northeast of Vancouver International Airport. Diana was employed as an occupational therapist at G.F. Strong and Richard was retired. He had some medical issues and used a walker for assistance when walking in his neighbourhood. Now, they were found after Diana failed to turn up to work. Anthony Purcell, who worked with Diana by providing equipment to some of her patients, went to the Joneses' residence on September the 27th because she hadn't come to work or called in sick and no one at work could contact her. Now, as he approached the front of the residence, Purcell observed a hatchet and a knife near the front pathway. Purcell noticed blood on the hatches. He then went to the back door of the house and saw bloody footprints on the back steps. The screen door was closed, but the main door was open. After calling out and receiving no response, he went to the back door of the house and saw a large pool of blood in the kitchen. He went back out of the house and called 911. The first officers who entered the Jones house saw a large pool of blood in the kitchen and blood stains throughout the house. They found the bodies of the Joneses in the shower stall of the main, main floor bathroom. Now, Richard was on his back and Diana was on top of him. The handheld shower head was on Richard's face and the water was running. It was apparent that both victims were dead. Outside of the house, police would find that bloody hatchet and the knife. There were bloody footprints on the stairs now, inside the house, it didn't look like there'd been a robbery, although the wallets were missing. However, none of the bank or credit cards were used after 7.51pm the night before, on September 26, when Diana made a purchase at Costco. There were no areas that looked like something was missing, and electronics, laptops and jewellery were left behind, including a watch and diamond ring on the body of Diana. A necklace was found in a large pool of blood in the kitchen. A baseball hat with a Canada Loon logo was found under the kitchen table. 
Diana's car was missing, though. It would be found on the 7700 block of Cardia Street, Marpole. And that's just a minute drive from the house. The keys for the Kia Soul were found in a garden a few houses to the north of where the vehicle was parked. A later autopsy showed that Richard died of multiple sharp force injuries. There were over 100 sharp force injuries to his body, which were a mixture of stab wounds, deeper than wide, slash wounds, wider than deep, and chop-type wounds, wider than deep and likely reflecting the application of an implement with a fairly sharp linear edge, like a knife in a chopping motion. Now, most of the wounds Richard suffered were stab wounds. Some of the stab wounds were severe and some were superficial. The majority of the injuries showed symptoms of being inflicted before death or around the time of death. Many of the wounds were in clusters and were aligned in the same direction. There were a number of wounds on Richard's left leg that were evenly spaced. The spacing on the wounds of Richard's leg indicated he was not moving at the time the injuries were sustained. There were no injuries to Richard's hands, that so that looked like that looked well that looked like defensive injuries, except for a possible defensive injury on the back of his left arm. There were seven probable chop wounds on the right side of Richard's head and neck. Now, Diana died as, as the result of multiple injuries, likely primarily due to an incised wound to the front of her neck that severed her cartoid artery, causing rapid and catastrophic blood loss, or possibly due to the blunt force injury to her chest region. Now, Diana had numerous blunt force injuries to her head, limbs and torso, including a fractured nose, a broken rib and bruising to her chest. Aside from the wound to her neck, she had only a few sharp force injuries. So the first break in the case was a serial number found on that hatchet. And this led police to the Canadian Tire Store at 8277 Ontario Street, Vancouver. They were then able to go through CCTV footage at the shop and trace it to the person who purchased it. Now, this purchase was made about six weeks before the killings and included with the purchase was a knife and gloves. With, another, with other CCT footage around the time, they were able to track the now suspect to a shop where he purchased a black baseball cap with Canada embroidered on it. A Canada loon? Yeah. <laughs> Some of the Canadians will have to email me. Along with CCT footage six weeks before the killings, they were able to see the same person in that CCTV footage that bought the hatchet, knife and, knife and gloves from CCT footage that they were able to obtain from the residents in the Joneses Street on the night of the killings. This person was wearing a black bunny hug, had a black baseball cap on and had a backpack. I, mean, I don't know what the fuck, where, where bunny hug comes from anyway. That's a hoodie for the rest of the world. Later that same night, CCTV footage would pick up Diana's white Kia Soul being driven along the street. Okay, so police, after several weeks, would find that the guy who brought the who bought the hatchet, gloves, and baseball cap was weeks and who was weeks later seen in the area near the Joneses place on the night of the murder was Rocky Rambo Way Nam Cam. They arrested him at his place. He was living on Granville Street and took him downtown for an interview. He knew he was arrested for a double murder at this time, but he just didn't seem interested with it at all. He just didn't seem worried at all. Now, this interview or interrogation was one of the most frustrating ones I've ever watched. 
It goes for about nine hours, eight or nine hours. And if you want to watch something that will bring on the rage, I suggest you settle in and take a look. It's easy enough to find on YouTube. And yeah, if you really want to rage, just watch it. Probably some of the most excruciating moments are watching and listening to him eat a chicken sandwich and chocolate bars and watching him sip his water out of this water bottle. Fuck, he seems to take at least an hour to eat the fucking sandwich. And look, I'm even getting the rage thinking about it now. And he just crinkles that water bottle. Oh, my God. Just drink the fucking thing. He takes the smallest sips. Look, I'm getting upset. Let's go on. Vancouver Police Sergeant Leah Terpsma interviews Rocky. And, and she's really calm. And she tries to get some rapport with him asking him about his family, what he's done, what he's doing or planning, all the usual things to get to know him a bit better and try to put him at ease. And and Rocky, he's quite happy to chat about his life. Now, once she gets into asking about aspects of the murder, Rocky, or murders, Rocky answers with either, I have nothing to say, or I don't want to talk about it. Now, if you watch it, you will see how almost robotic and logical some of his answers are. There's no emotion in it at all. In fact, he seems so disinterested with it all and asks when he can go home to play video games, even though he knows he's been arrested for a double murder. Now, Sergeant Terpson shows him all the evidence against him, the video in video of him buying the hatchet, gloves and hat, video of him walking near the Joneses' place on the night of the killings, crime scene photos. She even tells him that they found his DNA under Diana's fingernails, but he shows no emotion and refuses to comment at all on anything regarding the murders. Sergeant Turfman is pretty calm all the way through until the end when she starts to get the shits with him. She tried to get him to confess just to try to do the right thing for his family, for for the Joneses, for everyone, for himself. But he just refused, even with all the evidence in front of him. Now, I'll read out the last little bit of the interview. Now, Sergeant Terpsma says, I don't want you to walk out of here today saying frick. I blew my chance to say anything or apologise for anything or express some remorse, Rocky. What do you want to say about this, Rocky? What do you want to say? You know, Rocky, I can see fear and I can feel that you're feeling something. I can see that you're emotional. Why aren't you taking this chance to at least express remorse? Maybe today you're not ready to talk about the whole ugly story, but at least say you're sorry. Then Rocky looks at her and goes, for what? And Sergeant Terpsmer replies, for what? You're an animal. And she storms out. So... Rocky would break, (laughs) he wouldn't break after eight or nine hours, but he would testify in court and the events of the night would finally be heard. Oh, and forensic tests on his glasses revealed the presence of Diana's DNA. And of course, Rocky's DNA would also be found under Diana's fingernails. Now, he pled not guilty to the murders of the Jones. And this is a story that would come out in court of what happened that night. Now, I have followed the court records closely and as usual I've edited them for flow and clarity. On September the 26, 2017, Rocky said that he was walking in the Marpole area at around 7:30 to 8 p.m. 
when he saw Diana stop her car, a white Kia Soul. She got out and took some groceries into the house. Now, I'm sure this was in the front of the house as the property backs onto an alleyway where the garage is. In fact, a lot of the streets here have back alley alleyways. Bigger than an alleyway, you can drive cars along them. Anyway, but, but from what I could see in Google Street View, it seems he entered via the front rather than the back. And Diana had parked in the street out the front of the house. Okay, so just to avoid confusion, maybe I've made it more confusing. Anyway, it's it's the front of the house. Okay, he then said Diana left the trunk open so he knew she was coming back. After he saw Diana, he hid behind a tree, put down his backpack and armed himself with his hatchet and pocket knife. After Diana was going into the house a second time after collecting the rest of her groceries, Rocky charged towards the house and forced his way in. After he was in the house, there was a moment of silence before Diana started yelling for help. Rocky dropped the pocket knife and put his hand over her mouth. When Diana didn't stop yelling, Rocky moved his hand down to her throat to try to silence her. When that didn't work, he put down the hatchet and used both hands to choke her. Now, After Diana stopped struggling, he picked up the pocket knife and stabbed her with it. He couldn't remember whether he stabbed Diana after he choked her or after he killed Richard. He stabbed Diana to make sure she was dead. Rocky then heard some sounds from the back of the house, so he went towards the noise and hid by some stairs leading off the kitchen. When Richard walked into the house, Rocky attacked him at the entrance to the kitchen and stabbed him with the pocket knife. He continued to stab Richard in the kitchen area, and Rocky wondered how come he didn't die. And at one point, Richard tried to stand up and he stabbed him or pushed him back down to the kitchen floor. Now, Rocky kept stabbing Richard because he wasn't dying. After stabbing Richard multiple times, he went to the living room to get the hatchet and chopped Richard in the neck. Rocky said he chopped Richard with the hatchet because it was a way to kill someone and then stated that maybe I wanted to use the hatchet to crack Richard's head, but I really didn't do that. He then dragged Diana's body from the living room to the kitchen and after he dragged Diana into the kitchen, he tied her leg to a kitchen chair with twine. He also tied Richard's leg to the kitchen chair with twine. He closed the blinds in the kitchen and unscrewed the kitchen light so people couldn't look in and see the blood and the bodies. He then dragged both bodies from the kitchen to the bathroom. After dragging both bodies into the bathroom, he walked around the house. He found $30 in the guest bedroom and some keys. He drank some milk from the refrigerator because he was thirsty and ate a peach. He went back down to the bathroom and emptied Richard and Diana's pockets. He found uh, some lighters, car keys, wallets and a pager in their pockets. Rocky then moved their bodies into the shower area. He then collected some items including the car keys, some bananas, paper towels and the items he'd found in Richard and Diana's pockets and put them in a grocery bag. He put his hoodie and some peaches in his backpack. The baseball hat that was found under the table had been in his backpack and Rocky testified that he didn't notice it had dropped on the floor when he was leaving. Rocky left the house by the back door and went in the direction of the Kia Soul. As he was leaving the residence he saw a woman walking by and hid in the bushes because he didn't want her to see him. Rocky believed that the hatchet and staff frit knife fell when he was leaving the house. He said that if he'd noticed they'd fallen he would have picked them up. Rocky said he took the Kia Soul because it was there and he didn't want to walk home. After getting in the Kia Soul, he saw another woman walking on the sidewalk. 
He stayed in the car until the woman went past because he didn't want to be seen. After the woman passed, Rocky went back into the Joneses' residence to double-check on something. Now, Rocky says he can't remember what he checked on, and when he returned to the house, he changed his shoes because they had blood on them, and he put some slippers he found by the back door. He put the shoes in his backpack and went back to the car. He drove around for a while before he woke up and realised he was doing something wrong. He stopped at a dumpster and threw out a number of items, including the shopping bag containing some of the stuff he'd taken from the Joneses' house. He then drove north and parked the Kia Soul in the 7700 block of Cartier Street. He walked north on Cartier Street and threw the car keys into a garden, then turned south and walked to West 62nd Avenue where he turned left. He then walked down an alley and went through a yard between French Street and Granville Street. Now, Rocky was recorded on video surveillance walking past 1411 West 62nd Avenue at approximately 10.45pm. And in the video surveillance, he's wearing a jacket and is no longer wearing a hoodie or bunny hug. He went to the back door of his house and had a shower. He noticed his hoodie was bloody, so he put it in the backpack with his other clothes and threw the backpack into the neighbor's dumpster. After throwing out his backpack, he returned to his house and found the pocket knife was sitting on the table. He noticed there was blood on the pocket knife, so he made a second trip to the dumpster to throw it away. Now, Rocky said he had no trouble sleeping that night. The next day, he heard some sirens and looked on the internet to see if there was any news about the killings, but couldn't find any. Later in the day, around dinner time, Rocky looked at the news again and saw some news about the killings. He said he doesn't normally watch the news and the only reason he checked the news was because of the two people he'd killed. He said that after checking the news, he didn't think about the fact he killed the two people until he was arrested. Now, Rocky's defence didn't argue that he had mental problems and unfit to stand trial. Rather, they argued that he had temporarily found himself in a mental state that he thought he was in a video game. He went out and killed the Joneses, then snapped out of it later in the night. Now, what they called this was gaming consciousness. Now, I get where they're coming from. I used to race cars online every night for hours on end. And if you then got into a real car to drive it, it felt weird. It really did. It felt like you're almost in a video game. But I've also played endless hours of Battlefield games days on end. But I didn't go out, buy a kill kit at Bunnings and two weeks later kill some random people then try to cover up my crime by throwing anything out that might implement me in that crime. Motive. Well, the prosecution suggested that Diana reminded him of his mother that he hated. They also suggested that he stabbed Richard so many times in the legs because it gave him pleasure inflicting inflicting the pain. We really don't know. Rocky Rambo Wayne M. Cam would be found guilty of the murders in the first degree of Richard Jones and Diana Mar Jones. The jury rejected claims he was in some altered gaming consciousness and the fact that he bought his kill kit weeks before the slaying and then tried to cover up the crime showed it was not only premeditated but he also knew what he was doing was wrong. Rocky received two 25-year sentences that, after consideration on whether they should be served concurrently or consecutively, 
Well, he ended up getting to serve them concurrently. So, Islanders, even I have no real theory on why Rocky Rambo killed the Joneses. Buying his kill kit weeks before shows, he was planning it for a while to go out and kill. Now, he didn't go after the guy that ripped him off over the rental thingo, so why kill who he did? Maybe that he saw that Diana was an older lady that he could over easily overpower. Maybe she did remind him of his mum that he despised. It wasn't to really rob them or he would have stolen their valuables. And he had plenty of time to go through their place searching for things of value. He did go for a few easy dollars in their wallets and that's about all. He had no connection to the Joneses. So he took the opportunity when he saw Diana return from shopping, seeing she was older and probably easy to overpower. He took that opportunity just then to go for it. It was just a coincidence that she came home from shopping at the same time Rocky was walking past her house. I mean, he didn't even try to flee. He could have easily flown out to Hong Kong and onwards from there, but he just stayed put. And maybe the fact he wasn't picked up in the days and maybe weeks following the murders. He thought he was in the clear, so he just stayed put, forgot about it, and kept playing his video games. The fact that the hatchet and the knife fell out of his backpack and that he, and the hat he bought fell off in the kitchen. I think that was a little bit lucky for investigators. Without that evidence, they may not have got such an important break in the case. I mean, Rocky Rambo, what a loser. No job, no girlfriend, not much money, stuck inside playing games all day, no real motivation to do anything else. In the end, he was just a fucking dickhead that randomly went and killed two very lovely people. Now, I personally think he needed the census to be consecutive terms and probably spend 50 years inside. What do you think, Islanders? Like I said before, go check out the YouTube interrogation of Rocky Rambo. You'll want to just scream at the screen he's so fucking annoying his answers his stupid laugh his fucking disgusting eating look i won't talk about this i get so angry just thinking about it okay so that's the end of another episode we get on to the patreon patreon thanks to all my past present and new patrons your financial support does make a difference as true crime island is commercial free for all so no annoying ads for undies food delivery or anything like that my content is available to everyone no matter if you can donate or not there's no paywalls on the island and thanks to deborah marshall this week who upped her pledge thanks deborah and if you want to help out the island you can go to patreon.com forward slash true crime island if you don't like the monthly thing you can also send beer money to paypal i don't mind that PayPal link is donate.truecrimeisland.com or paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland, which Nick Taylor did this week. Shout me a few beers. Boom, fuck a Nick. Thanks so much. And also, like I've said before, support yourself before you support the island because I know times are tough at the moment. If you want a shirt or whatever, I have merchant threadless and red bubble now. I've updated my website, truecrimeisland.com. There is a contact and merch link for these things. There's also links on my website to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I do get on there occasionally. I don't really get on there a lot. 
Twitter, I basically just post the episodes. I can the same with Instagram. Facebook, there is a little bit of interaction there, but I just try to keep away from it as much as possible. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing, also by sharing it with your friends and family. Now, please feel free to check out my YouTube channel and subscribe. Please comment, subscribe, and get notifications. You just have to hit the little bell. And there's also a link for that on my website. Now, if you do want to contact me, the best way is cambo at truecrimeisland.com. All the other ways are quite difficult for me to go back over and search if required. Now, I do have a promo for the Dark Poutine podcast by my mate mates Mike and Scott. It's a great Canadian true crime podcast that did the Rocky Rambo case a few weeks ago, so check it out. Tell them Cambo sent you. The promos after the closing theme music, as always. Okay, that's about it. I've been your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Boomfuckalunga. Have you been bludgeoned to death with Ted Bundy stories? Are you choking on too many Hillside Strangler podcast episodes? As awesome as those are, cleanse your palate and add something new to your true crime diet. Why not try some Dark Poutine, a podcast from north of the 49th parallel? We cover Canadian crimes and dark histories. Some of the stories you may know nothing about, but they beg to be told. And with Canada being the biggest small country on the planet... We even have personal connections to some of the crimes and history we chat about. Join two real live Canadians every week as we serve up another helping of dark poutine. We are substantially creepy, sometimes meaty, always cheesy, but very rarely sorry. So come on up north and fill your ears with some dark poutine.